Green Teacher's main office is located on the traditional territory of the Anishinaabek, Huron-Wendat, Haudenosaunee, and Mississauga peoples. This territory is covered by the Williams Treaty. Forest bathing isn't stripping off your clothes and jumping into a river or a lake or a stream. Yeah, no like, liquid involved necessarily. None, none at all. No bathtubs, nothing. <laughs> um, <laughs> grounding has been known to help with everything from helping with immunity to insomnia to autoimmune disorders to heart disease. I'm going to geek out on you here, but... Uh, yeah, please <laughs> do. Fighting sides is just a fancy term for essential oils. Testing, testing. Hey, I'm Ian. And I'm Sophia. And welcome to Talking with Green Teachers. This is the Environmental Education Podcast, where we discuss recent developments, big ideas, and creative approaches to teaching green. In this episode... Because for kids to see things come to life yeah. from something that they have planted, the excitement that they get is just incredible. And actually, they're instilling in them a love for the nature by doing that because when we start working with plants then it's kind of like that same thing when you get a blue car then you see a blue car everywhere when you start <laughs> so working, true. when you start Your favorite seat spot is alive with birdsong this morning. As you settle into place and let your mind declutter, the stress of various obligations and pressures gently lifts. Your shoulders, which had unknowingly been raised and tight, begin to lower and relax. Suzanne Heaton is a big proponent of seat spots and, more broadly speaking, looking to nature for healing. Copious amounts of scientific research support the practices that Suzanne recommends through her work with Motivated by Nature. Suzanne joined Ian to discuss the effects of stress on our bodies and minds, the many nature-based therapies, as well as how this all relates to environmental education. It is a very fast-paced, stressful world out there, to say the very least. So what are some of the foremost causes of stress nowadays? Well, there's kind of three areas that I'd like to focus on. And one defined by the Canadian Mental Health Association is just the life-changing events that happen. So hmm. loss of job or moving or major life events happening. And just think, Ian, COVID, two years of COVID. Talk about life-changing Two plus. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So you know, kind of mourning the, the past, the present and the future, still, still everything's up in the air. So that creates a lot of stress for people, right? Yeah. And another area that's huge is technology stress. And the more technology that we have in our life, the more nature that we need to balance things out. But what's interesting is a report done by Elcon back in 2019, found that the average adult spent about 11 hours of screen time per day and children up to age 12 were spending about 
eight hours of screen time. So that's the computer, the TV, and the phone. And wow. yeah. <laughs> and the, the thing is, Canadian Mental Health Association, when COVID was in its height um, in 2021, they did another survey of Canadian adults and they found out that they were saying that their screen time went up 57%. So from 11 hours, you're looking at about 18, 17, 18 hours of screen time that people are having, having you know, think of all the Zoom calls. <laughs> like what we're doing right now. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <But> briefly though. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. But think, think of teachers and how all of a sudden they had to go online. And right. some of them were not comfortable in the Zoom world. So they had to train themselves how, how to do lesson plans. And then when it was safe enough for them to go back, they, they needed to go back in, into the classroom and, and teach with the kids. And that's actually the third area of stress that I want to focus on. And it's actually called frontline worker stress. And interestingly enough, there's a doctor here in Alberta by the name of Dr. Astrid Ken Kendrick. And in 2020, she was approached by the Alberta, Alberta Teachers Association to just see about the compassion fatigue and burnout that was happening in the education industry. So not only teachers, but you know, the custodians, the, the aides, the bus drivers. And what she found was absolutely shocking to me. It was that teachers were experiencing the same sort of frontline stress that paramedics do, that nurses do, that firefighters do. And that is really, really shocking. And she actually, when she did the research, she did the qualitative and quantitative research and found out that this existed prior to COVID hitting. And COVID just exasperated the whole stress level for teachers, but it's always been there in some way, shape or form. Because here in Calgary, we had the wonderful flood a few years yes. back. And so... <laughs> Teachers were expected to shovel out the basement of water while at the same time, you know, trying to make sure that the kids were getting the education that they needed. So stress is a huge, huge umbrella. <laughs> and the thing with teachers is, and every teacher, every educator knows this, is that you are always on. You very seldom, even during breaks in between class, if you have five minutes, you're often addressing emails or questions from students or giving that extra help. And it is a drag to be always on. I mean, it's a part of the job. It's what teachers have to do. But without recognition, I think, of the strain that, that can put on the brain, it's very easy for people to burn out. 100%. And actually, Astrid actually talks about that. And she, she created a site called um, heartcareeducators.ca where mm. teachers can go to and it's totally free can go to and just see the signs of compassion fatigue and burnout to see if okay am I kind of edging towards this area and what are some tools and free resources that are there for me but exactly like you say you know they realize that this happens in other places but with teachers they might be dealing with one student who hasn't eaten all weekend, they deal with them and they're on to the next, right? And they yeah. don't get that decompression time that many other people have the luxury. 
So for those who maybe haven't visited that website, what are some of those signs of compassion fatigue? Tiredness, irritability, low patience levels, right? Um, They they can go through it and, and see everything that, that it lays out there. And I think it's just a wonderful resource. And like I said, it's free. They, they want teachers to be accessing this and do what they can on their own, but then also reach out and say, listen, I'm needing support from, from the system as well. Yeah. We'll include the link in the show notes. That's just great. Yeah, absolutely. Looking more broadly at stress in general, how does it impact our bodies? It is like this huge umbrella of everything that it does to our body. And I'm sure you can relate. You've either seen it in yourself or you've seen it in other people, how stress affects them. But there's three kind of key areas that I want to focus on. And one of the things that stress does is it decreases our immunity, which is not a great thing to have in the middle of a pandemic. It is not, to say the least. (laughs) Exactly. And another thing it does is it actually suppresses our digestive system. And there has been so much research done between the brain-gut connection for overall health and Mm -hmm. mental well-being that having our digestive system affected is not great during COVID as well, because we already had a lot of mental health issues going on. And then having that isolation and everything on top of it, and then not having the proper gut health just exasperated that as well. Wow. And um, the third thing is that it actually ends up rewiring our brain so that we're more susceptible to mental health disorders like anxiety and depression and other other ailments is that rewiring in terms of increasing pathways for certain neurotransmitters or quantities of certain neurotransmitters or maybe it's all of the above you're you're 100 right you know what what fires together wires together right so yeah. if, if you get get in that rut and you're in that loop and you just continue going down and down and down you're that's that's exactly what it's doing So it's a positive feedback cycle that has rather negative effects. Exactly, exactly. Talking with Green Teachers is produced by Green Teacher, a registered charity in Canada that has been enhancing environmental education since 1986. By taking out a subscription, you can join our global network of passionate environmental educators, receive each issue of our quarterly magazine, and gain exclusive access to our vast archive of webinars and magazine back issues. All proceeds go back into the organization to support our vision of helping each successive generation of young learners become more environmentally literate than the last. To learn more, visit greenteacher.com. A gray catbird sings steadily, its bubble and squeak song emanating from a thick tangle of high bush cranberry and wild black currant. These fruiting shrubs are magnets for robins later in the year. Well, on this show, we do talk about environmental problems. In this show in particular, we're talking about health problems. But one of our sort of internal unwritten rules is that we only talk about problems if we also talk about solutions. So this is a very long list, a very exciting list. So let's get into some of the many 
nature-based ways that we can manage stress. And I thought a good starting point would be forest bathing. I know you and I have each done some forest bathing quite recently, as well as some grounding slash earthing, which we will also get into. But uh, tell us a bit about forest bathing. Yeah, so forest bathing is known as Shinrin-yoku, and that's Japanese, and it translates into forest bathing. And it was started by two doctors in Japan back in the 80s, and they wanted to see what would happen when they took workers out of downtown Tokyo and took them to a forest to do this forest bathing. So what Mm -hmm. they did was they tested the saliva levels for cortisol when these people were in in downtown Tokyo, and then they took them to this forest and they had them do forest bathing. Now, forest bathing isn't stripping off your clothes and jumping into a river or a lake or Yeah, no liquid involved necessarily. None none at all. No bathtubs, nothing. (laughs) Um, It's all about really connecting with every single one of your senses. So what is it you're seeing? And just being really mindful of what it is you're seeing, giving things a second look. What is it that you're hearing? What is it that you're smelling? What is it you're touching? And maybe even what is it you're tasting? You might've had some trail mix or something, or you may be tasting the earthy scent in, in the forest. So it's becoming really present and it's not going for this really fast, rigorous hike. It's being really mindful of each and every step and really focusing on your breathing as as you're doing this. And what they found was that it brought down the cortisol levels significantly when they tested them after. Right, the stress hormone. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And what was interesting was um, they they tested twice. They tested first them just looking at the forest and the cortisol levels went down. Just photographs? Just, uh, just outside before okay, they started, right. before they started walking in. And then after walking, it went down even more from actually being, being in it. So absolutely amazing. And you're going to be hearing a lot more about it because they're doing a lot more research in, um, British Columbia on forest bathing. So it's going to be talked about a lot more. So Shinrin Yoku is forest bathing. And if you take off your shoes, as I love to do, people say I'm like a hobbit, although maybe a bit tall for a hobbit, but I do like to walk bare feet or barefoot outside, particularly in the forest. And that practice is known by a couple different names, grounding or earthing. And again, this is supported by science. What does the science tell us about the benefit of earthing or grounding? So there are over 7,000 nerve endings in each of the bottoms of our feet. And so when we ground, when we go barefoot, whether we're on sand or whether we're on soil or on grass, what's happening is we are absorbing millions of electrons up through our bare feet, up through our blood supply that's helping to detoxify and decoagulate the blood. And so grounding has been known to help with everything from helping with immunity to insomnia to autoimmune disorders, to heart disease. And they say that about 20 minutes is kind of the key time to at least get 20 minutes in of the forest bathing. And as well, I heard from a First Nations elder. She said, if you go out in the fresh morning dew, when the sun just hits the dew, 
that makes it even more beneficial because of that water, you're absorbing it more into your system. Wow. And it's, it's so easy, right? It's just so easy. You know, your socks and shoes and going barefoot. Yeah. In terms of the trees themselves, there's been a lot written about phytoncides that people are breathing in and there are thousands of different phytoncides. Can you talk to us a bit about those? Absolutely. That's, um, that's part of the forest bathing. That's one of the things that they found out was that trees give off these phytoncides. And what, what is so cool about it, I'm going to geek out on you here, but uh, yeah, please do. <laughs> phytoncides is just a fancy term for essential oils. So, yeah. you know, when, when you go through the forest and you get that intoxicating smell of pine, that's phytoncides. But what's interesting is the tree is giving that off to ward off diseases and pests but what happens when the tree gives that off we breathe that in and when we breathe that in what those phytoncides do is it helps to elevate a type of white blood cell called a natural killer cell which helps to fight some viruses as well as tumors so I am such a huge advocate for people to get outdoors and boost their immunity naturally by focusing on their breathing around the trees and the plants. And when it comes sort of moving from up in the sky to the tops of the trees down into the soil, a lot has also been written about a natural antidepressant, in particular Mycobacteria vaccae. What does that potentially do for us? I'm, I'm excited to hear this as well. It's really interesting because the Global Wellness Institute has said that dirty wellness <laughs> is the number one trend for this year. And so what they have found is that children who are exposed to soil at early ages, up to the age of 12, have less chance of having allergies as well as asthma. Those that get their hands dirty, it's called the farm effect. Mm -hmm. And um, instead of always sanitizing their hands, have better immunity than those who are always using that antibacterial soap. And there was a friend of ours, his, um, her dad was a doctor, an old school doctor. And he said, every kid, every single kid should eat about a tablespoon of dirt to boost their immunity naturally. Is that and like per year or per lifetime? Yeah, yeah. Or? <laughs> over, the, over their lifetime. Over their okay, lifetime. it's so, not so, like a per hour. <laughs> no, no, exactly. Some kids, you, you might yeah, think some that. Yeah, they might. I've seen that, I think. <laughs> yeah, but what's what's interesting on top of that is, so they, they did studies on, on gardeners. And they found that when people are digging in the soil, what's happening is the soil gives off this effect on the brain. Um, it's, it's happy biomes. And it's the same effect on the brain as taking a Prozac without any of the negative side effects, without any of the withdrawals, right? So there is some sentiment to the happy gardener, right? So yeah. So is that a boost in serotonin then? I, I'm just thinking of your comparison to Prozac. Serotonin is, is one for sure, for sure. Wow. Yeah. And um, there's a gentleman out of the States called Jeff Leach, and he's started what he, he calls the American Gut Project. And I mentioned earlier how that brain gut health is so important. Yes. And he actually encourages people, if they know where their 
vegetables are coming from, where their fruit is coming from, maybe just to dirty up their diet a little bit and allow a little bit of dirt to get into their stomach just to help with that healthy gut flora. So pretty interesting stuff. We've gone from being this highly sanitized um, society to where, you know what, soil and soil and dirt are not the same. Soil is really, really healthy, full of all, all the microorganisms, right? It's really, really important. If we have healthy soil, it helps us to make healthy food, which ends up in our gut and the whole process happens. So, yeah. So get out there and get dirty. Absolutely. <laughs> well, it's no surprise then looking at this body of research that as of the time of recording, so this is May 2nd, 2022, four Canadian provinces are allowing for doctors to prescribe national park passes. And I know there is momentum for other provinces and territories to jump on board with that. Now you're based in Alberta. I know Alberta hasn't come on board just yet. It just or, did. It or did just it just did. happen? Yes, awesome. It, yes. Yeah. 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 You and me both. <laughs> yeah. So it is so, so exciting. So Dr. Melissa Lamb out of BC has partnered with Parks, P-A-R-X. And what they are doing is they're doing the first evidence-based green prescription program in Canada. And like you said, it is rolled, rolled out from BC all the way to Ontario now. But what's really cool is the Canadian Parks and Recreation Association has gone on board. And if you are to get a green prescription, you will get a free park pass to a Canadian park. And what I really am telling everyone to do is to talk to your doctor about about this because okay. it's so new i was in my doctor's last week and i asked her if she'd heard about the park prescription and she said no i haven't and when she looked at it she was like oh my god i totally believe in this i believe that people need to be focusing on getting outdoors you know making sure they're getting enough exercise getting enough nature time and focusing on a healthy diet and she said then after that if they need anxiety medication or prescription for de depression, um, antidepressants, right. then she said, then I'll go that route. But she said, I want to go the natural way first as much as possible. And that's actually one thing I, I want to touch on. Dr. Melissa Lem and Parks kind of came under some scrutiny first when they came out with this because people were saying, you know, individuals who are highly anxious giving them a green prescription is only going to make them even more anxious. Hmm. And Dr. Lem said, what people don't understand is it's not a one size fits all prescription. It is a patient centric prescription that's given. So everything's taken into consideration. So if someone has really high anxiety and doesn't want to go outside on their own, they'd make sure that they got them with a walking buddy. Right. Right. So, yeah. So I just, I can't wait to see it go across Canada and I can't wait to see everyone really fully embrace it. Yeah, we'll have to stay tuned. Absolutely. Did you know that a subscription to Green Teacher includes access to our massive and fast-growing archive of 500-plus ready-to-use activities, lesson plans, and articles? The recording of each new webinar goes into the archive too, and there are 120 of those and counting. To save you time, because educators never have enough of it, right? 
everything is organized by topic and age group. Learn more by visiting greenteacher.com slash subscribe. We also have special rates available for bulk orders from your school, board, district, faculty of ed, or organization. As always, all proceeds go back into the nonprofit. In addition to the cranberries and currants, you take notice of some of the other plant species nearby. Some red osier dogwood ahead of you, a line of cracked willows to the right, several black locusts to your left. Well, as this is an environmental education podcast, let's bring all this around and connect it to environmental education in, of course, its many forms and contexts. So if you were to recommend some activities to K-12 teachers, what would you recommend? Well, we recommended gardening. I'd highly recommend gardening, whether it's outside or even if you start things indoors, because for kids to see things come to life, from something that they have planted, the excitement that they get is just incredible. And actually they're instilling in them a love for the nature by doing that. Because when we start working with plants, then it's kind of like that same thing when you get a blue car, then you see a blue car everywhere. When you start start working with plants, all of a sudden you start to realize more plants maybe that you didn't notice before right? Another thing that's really important is unstructured play. And I know in higher grades, that's more difficult, but they've shown that unstructured play, the kids actually discover things more on their own without being told what to do. And then for the older kids, it's really important to get that open-ended learning. So if, if the kids are asking you, well, what is that? then go back to them with a question. Well, what do you think it is? Let's observe it for a while. What is it eating? What do you think it's going to eat, right? Get that inquiry-based learning in there. And they'll remember that way more than you telling them it's this and moving on, right? Yeah, I mean, a label means so much less if they're not involved in the cognitive process of figuring out the why behind the label. Like, okay, this is blue bead lily to come up with an example of a a spring wildflower that we see in pine forests in our area. Who cares, really? What does it mean, blue bead lily? Okay, the fruit kind of looks like a bluish bead, but asking those inquiry-based questions, what kind of forest are we in? How is this forest different from another forest? What is unique about the soil? What is unique about the ground cover? Now, what does the shape of the plant look like? And oh, by the way, the fruit does kind of look like a, a bead. It's bluish. Blue bead lily, that kind of makes sense. What eats blue 100%. bead lily fruits? And all of a sudden there's a story behind it as opposed to just blue bead lily next move on. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. And actually, you know, um, you bring up a really, really good point there. It's taking that time to really dig down and start asking those questions and one, one thing that um, some people swear by is by having a sit spot where people oh, go yeah. and just observe, just observe. And what's interesting is that once you, you get familiar with that sit spot, then the animals start getting more familiar with you and you start observing more of what it is that they're doing as well. So it's just creating that awareness and that mindfulness when they're out in nature. And um, 
that Dr. Astrid Kendrick that I mentioned earlier that created the Heart Care Educators website, she had previously been a teacher and she told me she worked at um, Louise Dean High School, which is a high school for pregnant and parenting teens. Mm. And she was the phys ed teacher. And she said what she found was when she went out for walks with the girls, she found out so much about them because they would walk side by side. And so you don't have that same thing when you're sitting across a desk from one another. And it's more of a interrogation kind of feeling, right? Yeah. Whereas when, when you're walking side by side, the wind takes away your words and it just helps, helps to soothe you. And she said she found out things about her kids that she never would have found out being in a treadmill on a gym, right? And so that's something to remember too, whether it be a teacher or whether it be a parent going out for a walk with, with your, your kid, like a, a lot of parents know that, you know, when they go for a car ride, that's when things, things come out instead of when they're sitting across one another at the, at the dinner table. Right? <laughs> yeah. So yeah, there's, um, nature is just so healing and it allows that, that conversation to flow. And I think it's so easy for educators to fall into the trap of needing every minute to be structured and quote unquote productive. When in fact, a sit spot for 20 minutes or 30 minutes, however long, is productive in maybe ways that we don't think about in this very industrialized model of education that unfortunately is still quite dominant. I mean, that's what the infrastructure of education is based around. There are many schools that are moving away from it, and there are individual champion teachers trying to move away from that despite being within that infrastructure. But sometimes letting go of that control and that structure is just so essential. 100%. And actually, actually on that, there was another study that was done down in the University of Michigan. And they had two groups of individuals write a memory test. And then they took one group and they took them for a walk in a nature conservancy. And they took the other group and they took them to the downtown city landscape. They brought them back together. They had them both rewrite the test. And those who went for the walk in the Nature Conservancy scored 20% better in the memory recall. And those who went for the walk down in the cityscape didn't improve their memory scores at all. So I think it would be so amazing if kids were allowed to go for a memory walk before they had to do a major exam or an essay just to help them with, with their overall memory. And that speaks to the necessity of greening school grounds. And I mean, full disclosure, Green Teacher published a book about this with that title a number of years ago. And I know it's easier in some areas than others. There are some inner city schools, for example, that just don't have a lot of space. And the space that they do have is covered in sidewalks. But you have to find those opportunities for potted plants or see if there is any concrete that you can take out and install a pollinator garden or a medicinal garden and just allow for these places where people can decompress. Yeah, I, I could not agree with you more. And it's interesting because even in the most concrete places, we can see resilience happening, like a dandelion pushing up through, oh, through yeah. the sidewalk cracks, right? <laughs> but um, there's there's been some actually daycares over in 
I believe it's Sweden or Denmark, where they've gone in and they've actually taken out the concrete and they've brought in natural materials and just let the kids play in, play in it. And just what that does for the kids, for their immunity, number one, but also in learning with the tactile pieces. It's, it's amazing. Yes, more removing of concrete, please. 100%, yeah, bringing in those medicinal plants, I love it. <laughs> yeah. Hi there. You might recognize my voice from such podcasts as the one you're listening to right now. Speaking of podcasts, Green Teacher is involved in another one. It's called Earthy Chats, and you know what? How about I let my co-host, Jade Harvey Barrel, tell you the rest? Take it away, Jade. Thanks, Ian. Hello, all. Indeed, we'd love for you to join us for Earthy Chats, our new podcast where we've come together to spend time picking the brains of the brightest and best in environmental education. Like busy bees, we'll be cross-pollinating ideas across our range of interests and knowledge bases to give you the inside scoop on what's new, who's doing it, and how you can do it too. All of the experts featured on the show have resources available Canada-wide in the Outdoor Learning Store. That's Canada's non-profit outdoor resource store. You can check out the range of educator and student resources available at www.outdoorlearningstore.ca. So whether you're a teacher, educator, parent, or just a general nature geek, there'll be something for you to sink your teeth into. Did I cover everything there, Ian? Definitely. Thanks, Jade. So yeah, Earthy Chats. Check it out on your favorite podcast app. An orchard oriole singing from one of the black locusts has just arrived from its tropical winter home. More than likely, it will breed here. As your mind connects more deeply with the sounds all around you, a familiar voice emerges from the soundscape. In your work with Motivated by Nature, you run an online Wild About Nature challenge. I love the name to begin with. So tell us about that and how it can improve participants' overall well-being. Yeah, so what I do is I have people do um, a pre-survey before they start doing the challenge so that they can see where their mental and physical well-being is at, as well as their connection to nature. And then what happens is each day they're given a prompt to get out their front door, go for a walk, and be mindful looking for the prompt of the day. And to make it as inclusive as possible and as easy as possible, what I've done is I've used the letters of the alphabet. Nice. So for example, for, yeah, for day number one, it's using the letter A. So it's go out and be aware. Perhaps you can find ah, perhaps there's an animal, anything with the letter A goes. So it doesn't, doesn't limit participation for people you know, all abilities are, are able to participate in it because I have a good, better, best principle as well. So a good day is just taking five minutes, looking out your window, looking for the prompt of the day. A better day is taking 10 minutes, maybe going and taking your socks and shoes off and just breathing in that beautiful fresh air and looking for the prompt of the day. And the best is going out for that half hour walk, looking for the prompt of the day. And then what they do is they post what it is that they found for the prompt of the day 
on the platform. And what's really cool is um, people are from so far have been from Australia and New Zealand and Canada and the US and the Philippines. And just being able, especially during COVID, to see all these different places that are in different seasons and have different flora and fauna, it's been absolutely amazing. And one of the participants said, I, I actually feel like I'm traveling again, right? Yeah. So, so it's pretty cool. So what, what I do is each week I layer on a new sense so that they get more and more mindful. And what a lot of people say, even people who are avid nature walkers, they say, you know what? I finally saw something that I've passed by a million times before and never taken notice of. So that really touches my heart because at the end, they do the post survey and they actually get to see how they've been able to shift the needle on their overall well-being as well as their connection to nature. And I'm a real believer that if you don't know what it is and you can't name it, you're not going to love it and you're not going to protect it. So that's part of what this challenge is about. It not only for improving their health, but also for improving the planet's health by people just becoming much more aware of their surroundings. And does this get down in terms of looking at life forms? Does this get down to identifying individual species, even if it's a small or obscure insect or plant? 100%. If they want to go to that detail, absolutely. And I give them some tools if they want. There's PlantNet app. It's totally free to use yeah. and it's wonderful. And then there's the Merlin app for birds as well, which, which is amazing. But what's, what's neat is, is some people, they, they take it and they don't know what it is. And then, so they bring it in and they do that research, right? So it, it builds that inquiry-based learning, right? I saw this, yeah. I don't know exactly what it what it is. And it, it's interesting because I had a lady from Vancouver and she said, you know, before I used to go by and think, oh, you know, that's a pretty plant. But she said, I had no idea what the name of it was. And she said, this challenge really made me become more aware of what the names of them are and just make a better connection with them. So it's awesome to see. It is. You speak of the importance of having an accountability partner. So mm -hmm. why is an accountability partner just so critical? So they say that just telling someone that you're going to do something, you're 65% more likely to achieve your goal. But if you check in with that accountability partner on a regular basis, you are 95% more likely to achieve your goal. So if there's anything that people are really wanting to achieve, I highly, highly, highly recommend they get an accountability partner that's going to be cheering them on and help keep them accountable every step of the way. I think I saw a TED talk about that, actually, about accountability partners. It was in a different context, but I seem to remember that. Anyways, it makes perfect sense, of course. Yeah, yeah, it does. It just boosts your, your level because it's not, it's not just you that you're disappointing, right? That, <laughs> right. That, that, <laughs> that person is checking up on you. And some of us are more competitive than others, but in general, it just, it just helps, helps to really cheer, cheer us along. Yeah. Well, any final thoughts before we wrap things up and perhaps go for a walk ourselves? I'm totally going for a walk after this. <laughs> Absolutely. Me too. <laughs> um, I would just say, I, I love the quote by Frank Lloyd Wright and it's study nature, love nature, stay close to nature, 
it will never fail you. So I hope that everyone gifts themselves the time to get out into nature today and every day. Wonderful final words. And thank you, Frank Lloyd Wright, wonderful architect with a lot of work in Chicago in particular. Words of wisdom and words of inspiration. So thank you so much, Suzanne, for joining us, sharing your insights and empowering us to go out into nature in whatever form it takes in our local area. Thank you so much for having me and thank you for all the good work that you're doing in terms of really boosting people's awareness of the importance of connecting with nature. Thank you. It's an ongoing process and can't wait for the next steps, big and small. Every step counts. (laughs) Indeed. A red-winged blackbird. Actually, several red-winged blackbirds. How could you have missed noticing those earlier, especially when they are so familiar to you? Such is the way with a busy mind thinking of both the past and the future simultaneously. While both are important, the only moment that matters is this one here and now, the present. Talking with Green Teachers is co-hosted by Ian Shanahan and me, Sofia Vargasnesi. Ian is the show's writer and editor. Logo design is by Devin Terrien. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or iTunes to get instant access to each new episode. If you really like the show, give us a rating too. We can also be found wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for joining us in this episode. We'll chat again soon. scary maybe in a way but (laughs) impressive at the same time it's being used for good this AI it is yeah with the citizen science yeah absolutely Absolutely. yeah and for sure it is creating this data set that we can use as a baseline and you know that can only help with future management decisions and conservation initiatives and so on